Hi, I'm Terry, Instagram's sassy sober mum. Welcome to my podcast, Sober Stories from Everyday People, bringing you stories from people just like you and I. The aim of this podcast is to share our experiences with drinking and how we got and stayed successfully sober. Hello, and welcome to this week's Sober Stories from Everyday People. Today, I've got Emily from Gloucestershire, and she's been alcohol-free for almost six months. Uh, Such a great time, six months, Emily. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Um, It's great to finally, I guess, put a face to the, the Instagram account. And yeah, I'm really excited. Oh, I'm delighted to hear it. Um, So why don't we get to know a bit about who you are? Yeah, of course. So uh, I'm, well, I'm 28 tomorrow. Um, I, bit of a boring day job. I'm an accountant, um, but I'm also a personal trainer. Um, Fitness is something that's not new to me anymore. There was a time when it was. Um, I love being outdoors. I guess I I love fitness now. Um, yeah, I mean, it's sort of standard thing, living with my partner and my cat. <laughs> Not the most glamorous lifestyle, but I, I love it all the same. Ah, oh, that sounds very nice, actually. <laughs> the cat, that's all you need, isn't it? <laughs> um, so talk to us a bit about your life with alcohol. Describe what that looked like. It was just complete chaos. Um, I was always the one that took it too far and didn't know when to go home. And I think when you surround yourself with people that almost implore you to be a mess, Mm -hmm. it's really easy to just continue playing up to that character and that personality. And um, it it takes a lot to be able to sit in the uncomfortable truth of of the matter and look back and sort of think this isn't this isn't right. But wherever I was, there was some element of drama or chaos and it just it was never ending it was always one weekend after the other by the time I'd recovered sort of from one stint it was time to go again and it was just a bit of a blur it's quite quite manic really yeah yeah that it's the same for me as well actually I think pretty much my 20s and my 30s were a bit of a blur um but your um, happy birthday for tomorrow 28 tomorrow <laughs> uh so you're doing it um, a bit earlier, I would say, to yeah. a lot of people that ha- that are coming on this show, um, and I absolute hats off to you there because I I know what it's like to be caught up in that pack almost that you've got. I don't know what, about you, but you know maybe through school or through college, uni, or just even working life, and then you go through your twenties, and it is a bit like a pack mentality isn't it and you are drinking every weekend and like you say you're just on that ferris wheel going round and round and I think like you Emily I was the clown really in my group yeah I didn't mean to call you a clown um but no that's that's true isn't it (laughs) but I you know I was the fun one I was the one that if someone said Terry Terry do that thing I'd be like yeah let's go jump on the table you know jump in the swimming pool half drunk whatever um, and so, like you said, you do live up to that a bit, don't you? And you sort of don't really know who you are without it. But for you to get to sort of, you know, late 20s and be like, do you know what? 
I've had enough. I've got a lot of respect for that. Because I know that's, 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 that's hard. Like, it's, that yeah, and I, I almost feel like I sort of used all my, the energy I had for drinking in such, you know, in the early 20s, it got to a point where I just thought, oh, I can't do it anymore. And um, it's, it. I mean, I'll talk about it a bit later on about how sort of everything came to be as clear as it was, but there are people that obviously carry on and, and now I look back at it and I see people I know who are obviously much older than me. And sometimes you can you can tell they know it's a problem yeah I think and it's it for me I think because it happened so it almost went downhill so quickly I also I kind of felt like I had to get out just as quickly of it when I realized it was all becoming too much and it, it happened I guess over a short a, a span of time um and I think maybe that's why it went sort of zero to 100 fairly quickly remained bad for quite a while and it was that sort of intense change that maybe meant that I couldn't do it for as long or I, I guess it was just becoming so problematic quite quickly that you look back and you think, God, it really didn't take long for me to get from being able to fit in, I guess, with the people that knew when to call it a day mm. um, to that person who was always the last person to leave the club, barely standing, lost all her friends, pissed everyone off and mm. trying to find a cab home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But still, I think it is very you know there's a lot of awareness that you've got there to do that because I would say for me I I I felt all those things in my 20s as well but I still did it in my 30s yeah I knew I knew like like you said I knew that drinking was destructive but I just had such a pull to keep doing it and it's interesting isn't it it's very interesting why some people can have that awareness and act on it like what you have done that's not to say that maybe you didn't struggle in your 20s and you know didn't have five years or or whatever of of difficulties and mini rock bottoms or however you you know want to describe it but for me I feel like I had those things but yeah I still carried on in my 30s and I was in danger of doing it in my 40s I didn't stop till I was 41 um and yeah, I just I find I find I find that really fascinating. So, when you look back at when you sort of started drinking, Emily, was it always kind of hardcore for you? I mean, it's the standard thing of I say I say my generation. It was that it was people just tended to get drunk in parks before they were able to go clubbing, and I was no different to anyone else. That's what I did, and then I wouldn't say that I was so much of a mess. I mean, I never really was the first to go home but I also wasn't the last to leave because at that point it was really like a two litre bottle of Strongbow in your local park and then when it got past midnight or it was a bit cold and no one had anyone's you know parents away so you could go there you go home and I think I remember getting um, a fake ID I think when I was about 17 maybe 16 and I so I'd been clubbing a few times and I don't know whether it's because I was sort of, I was underage, so I didn't want to draw attention to myself. So I never was the last to leave. I just, I knew when to call it a day. But then when I turned 18, I wasn't, I really wasn't bothered about clubbing for a while because I'd done it already. Yeah. Um, But that, I was in a really bad relationship where I wasn't really allowed to go out. Um, And I mean, that's talking 10 years ago now. But when that ended, when I was around 19, I suddenly was like, oh, so this is what it's like to stay out past midnight without being harassed by someone to come home. Mm. And really, I think that was the catalyst was because I finally had this freedom. So I just thought, well, 
let's see what it's like to stay out all night and let's go with the flow for once knowing that I'm not going to get harassed for staying out and really I think that's probably where it came from was because I I I did it because I could yeah and the novelty just I guess it didn't really wear off I mean yeah it carried on and carried on and I think work culture and certainly I worked in retail um originally so I used to work on a makeup counter when I was in my early 20s um and then I was going out every weekend but I mean it wasn't it wasn't as bad at that stage it was it wasn't great but it wasn't like red flags yet um because it wasn't like an office culture thing it was just I'd work really hard in the week I'd work a lot of hours long days and then I'd go out at the weekend and then I'd be back at work Monday anyway so it wasn't that bad um it was just a small group of friends who sort of knew when to call it a day but when I left retail and I went into, originally it was, a, I think it started with a call centre. The culture was just completely different. Oh my God. <laughs> the Sorry to jump in here, but I was a sales manager in a call centre for seven years. And I swear that was the thing that pulled me down into the real dark depths of dangerous drinking. The culture is crazy. It's scary. I mean, all the incentives as well. And I, you know, when I look back, I mean, I was, I was encouraged to give alcohol as an, as an incentive. Yeah. But as a drinker, as I, I thought that was brilliant. I thought, what a great prize. Give someone some wine for hitting their target or, you know, get a hundred quid to go down to the local pub with the team early on a Friday, just, you know, to get drunk. And when I look back, I was wrecked in a lot of those situations at seven o'clock at night with my team who were all easily five, sometimes 10 years younger than me. And I shudder a bit at that now, but it is acceptable, isn't it? It's so, so I obviously wasn't used to it because to be fair, I was, when I worked in retail, I remember once making a joke that if I hit this massive sale that I didn't think I'd do, my boss was like, I'll buy you two bottles of Sun and Comfort instead. And it, oh. it wasn't even like that was a negative thing. It was because we joked so much about it. But when you then go to the call centre, I remember it was my first week, I think, and a lot, it's high staff turnover. So you're yeah. always meeting new people. And I remember the first week, it was standard on the Friday. I think you finished maybe one hour early and everyone went to the local pub. And it didn't stop there. It wasn't just a few drinks and you went home. There was a lot of I guess drugs involved as well it's not just drinking and you suddenly think Mm. oh no really everyone is on cocaine and everyone is drinking this much and it was like okay well I'm I've been you know I'd single for a while at that point I had friends but I was obviously I wasn't comfortable in myself my mental health was probably getting as bad as it onto that culture then let's be be part of it and I didn't just sort of join it I ended up being the one that everyone knew they could rely on would leave with them at the pub and I wouldn't be home until 6am the next day yeah uh makes me shudder a bit to be honest Emily because I think our stories really cross over quite a lot um again for me I um cocaine was such a big thing on those nights out and it just felt like everybody was doing it. I I would go to a local bar after work and the 18-year-olds in the corner were were doing it. The the 55-year-olds, the other side of the place were doing it. All the people in the middle. And it's 
it almost was a bit of a joke that you would go to the toilets and there'd be like a line queue yeah. of people just sort of and everybody just turned a blind eye and at the time that all felt very like fun and you know, all the rest of it there's such a dark side to that lifestyle and the amount of shame and depression and anxiety that came in that lifestyle for, for you know, being in that for, for a number of years, it was quite crippling. I don't, I don't know how you feel about that. It, it, it was horrific. I, I remember my mental health being at the worst it had ever been. And I could, I'd finished, I didn't enjoy the job. And I think the reason why they glamorise the alcohol and the drug side of it is because the job itself was completely horrific. Yeah. It was unrealistic targets. The staff turnover was insane. Yeah. When you work in that environment, I don't know whether you had it, it was, you know, who's sleeping with so-and-so this week behind so-and-so else's back on this team and, it was just non-stop. And I think the reason it became so full of drama and that sort of side is because the job itself was really quite awful. Yeah. Um, and I think because <laughs> yeah, of that, it's like, so well, we're distracting with, with all of this and yes. all these other things. And I mean, I lived at home at the time. And after only about three months, I just went in and I just, I quit. I had nothing else to do. But yeah. it was getting to the point where whatever happened at the weekend, you know, sort of happens. But that was a distraction from the day job and I, I couldn't do it. And that was only after three months, you know, the people that I sort of knew who'd been there long-term, I I don't know. I just thought, well, fair play to you for doing it. I, I, I couldn't do that, but that still didn't mean that I didn't bring that culture and that mindset of it's normal to do this much, yeah. I guess, drinking and it's normal to do these drugs and it's normal to be in these situations because on Monday it's just something for everyone to laugh about in the break room and do it again the next week. Mm. But yeah. yeah, it's terrifying. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because before I moved down here where I am now on the South Coast, I, well, I was born in Leicester and then at 19 I moved to London um to study and work and things like that um and so you know you'd go to ministry of sound every now and then it was a thing you know and and (laughs) drugs drugs, I mean you used to smoke a bit of weed and stuff like that to be honest but you know there wasn't hard drugs really it was it was a lot of just sort of drinking go out bars or going around people's houses or going camping and just just things like that but I didn't have that really intense job at that time I I sort of had what I'd say like normal job you know maybe office yeah not super high pressure um and then when I moved um down here I uh got a job in that environment we just talked about and that changed everything for me um because I got I did I felt like I got sucked in quite a lot into that culture which now I realize is is quite toxic that it's very much you know this is not a great job really so let's kind of try and keep people happy by giving them all these rewards and incentives yeah, that, that is it. how it is yeah um, and I and I know that because I come from from, from a manager point of view yeah. also you know I got caught up in that lifestyle because all the managers and all the people were doing all the same things and it was very much that sort of like walking in on Monday morning oh god shudder a bit because of you know what you might have said to somebody at 6am 
yeah in some randoms kitchen and you know here we go here's another week of high targets and high pressure and that was a quarterly thing so you know you'd have to hit sales every quarter and every quarter it was like go you gotta go you gotta get get the target get the target you've got to get over target okay right we're end of the quarter like bang here we go here's the next target and it's just so <laughs> you know felt felt like I couldn't catch my breath in that yeah, I was it's, it's relentless it is relentless and you are very much in a hamster wheel. Now, some people thrive in that environment, but if I'm being honest, it's not my vibe. <laughs> you know, no. I, I, I'm not really that person. I just, I was good at it. I think because I'm just quite enthusiastic, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> I was quite good at that job. But um, I basically, um, when I had my children, which was sort of several years later, I stepped away from that company but those habits were very hard they were there and that was the bit that I found really really difficult then I had a different life I was a mum I had kids but that heavy drinking lifestyle and that was all still there for me and I was still connected through friends to to a lot of that kind of lifestyle and I found that really 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 difficult so in some ways actually it's, it's probably really good that you you had that foresight and you did get out like three months is still you know it's a good chunk of time but it I think when you're in it for too long it just it just becomes your way of life for too long if that makes yeah. sense and it was and I think three months was enough and it's the same thing there are still there are people that I met at that job that I believe purely wanted to be my friend because it probably made them feel better about their lives because I was the one who'd be coming around the next day so well I went home with so and so and then this happened and I spent this much money I broke my arm on a night out I lost my phone on a night out and it was just oh she's such a liability and it was funny for those people and I think for a while I thought well that's great because I'm obviously liked but I wasn't liked because being Emily I was I was liked because it was fantastic to have me on a night out because I was just an absolute entertaining yeah it's like entertainment isn't it and also as well I do think that there you know and you you probably know this yourself as well um but I realized when I got sober and I took the alcohol away that people um, you know, you, you're drawn to people that are a little bit worse than you because that kind of validates that you're not that bad. Do yeah. you know, there is that psychology there, isn't there? Where I think I I had um, friends or, or acquaintances, they always knew Wreckhead Terry would come to the party. They just, yeah. I didn't have an off switch. So, and I was really over-enthusiastic about going out and I was really excited. And so I would always go too far or like fall off a cliff which is how I would describe myself on those sorts of nights out even if it was a Tuesday like after work you know what yeah. I mean? like, a Tuesday would be the same as a Saturday to me pretty much um so yeah and I I think that that is quite that is very dangerous to have those sorts of people around you and to be in those sorts of environments because typically when you stop drinking a lot of those people are very unsupportive did you have that sort of experience? It kind of, there were things that flitted away. And I, for me, lockdown was, whilst it was awful for all the reasons we know about, it gave me that isolation to actually sit in a really uncomfortable place with my mind and my past and just work out what the fuck it was. Mm. And I sort of think, well, looking back, these people weren't friends. They were just enablers. It was just a group of people who 
stuck together because we were all a mess and it made us feel like you know the group of people that leave the pub at sort of after two drinks they're not the people you wanted to sit with because they would just question why don't you just go home if you've got yeah. no money and you know why don't you just go home because that wasn't an option so you don't you don't gravitate to those people like you said because you want your behavior to be validated um and the only people that are going to validate it are people that kind of also believe it's okay and you're all in denial together and mm. it's it's hard because how do you get out of it in that situation and actually there are friends that I've got that sort of have said to me you know my sister we knew you sort of weren't mentally okay and there are some people that I think also knew that but didn't care because well yeah I could try and intervene but then who will I laugh at on nights out so let's just carry on letting her ruin her life because for us it's quite funny and it makes us feel good and um that's sort of how it carried on I've got a much smaller group of friends now and you you look out for each other in a different way and now there are people that I used to hang around with that are probably still in the same situation I just feel sad for them Mm. because I think oh you know I'm lucky that I sort of had enough self-awareness or an epiphany or whatever you want to call it I guess during lockdown where I was suddenly like everything I thought I knew about myself wasn't true and everything that I played up to isn't me I'm now I know myself I'm the most introverted person ever but I force myself to be you know the loudest one the one who will buy all the drinks even though she's got no money I wanted to be everyone's friend and I wanted to be the life and soul and actually that's not me I think my mental health problems were so bad that instead of addressing them I thought let's just keep drinking let's just keep making friends with people and buying them drinks at the bar and going home with people I shouldn't and then I'll never have to address it and Mm. um I'm lucky in the sense that me and my sister went off uh, to live in Australia for a year. And that was a lot of distance. Yes. <laughs> only only then was I like, huh, okay. Now I'm not in that situation. I can't, I don't have those friends. You know, you meet people traveling. But for me, that was kind of um, the distance that I needed to, I guess, stew on everything that had happened in the past few years and really reevaluate who I was as a person and who I'd called a friend for so long. Yeah. Wow. Sounds like a very, a big period of growth. Um, yeah. But it, and it wasn't, everyone always says the same thing about traveling, but it's almost like getting that, getting that distance. And I think seeing who still cared or seeing what was going on back home, I just thought this is different. And then the same in lockdown, because in lockdown, I didn't have a choice, but to sit with my thoughts. Yeah. Cause there was nothing else I could do. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, it's so funny. There's so many similarities between you and I. Every time you yeah. see something, I'm like, because I went and lived in Australia for a year. And, <laughs> and I also had a, a, a quite a toxic relationship with somebody who was really controlling in my teens. Um, and uh, I, what was it? What job did you do when you were, um, you said in your early 20s, were you working in? Oh, so I did retail. I worked retail. on a makeup counter and then I did... Makeup counter. Work. Yeah, I worked yeah. on boots, makeup counter. Nice. <laughs> That's so funny. I keep thinking, oh my God, like my it's soul sister or something. Yeah, it's so weird. But it's only when you speak to other people about these experiences that you can have it. And I almost... it's so You will never be able to explain it to people who just don't get it. And uh, you can talk and talk and talk and there's, there's no understanding there. There's no empathy. Yeah. No, exactly. I, it's, it's so fascinating. So I'm really interested in this um, part of your story, how you, you know, you woke up and you just thought, right, this is it. I'm going to go alcohol free. Talk me through that section. 
So when I lived in Australia, we I still drank, and it, but it wasn't as much of a problem because it was a group thing. It was backpackers together. We did a job in a call centre that was much less toxic over there. And every two weeks we'd go to the local and then you'd go home. And it was fine. It was part of meeting new people. When I got home again, I still drank every now and then, but then I met my now fiancé and it, it, wasn't, it wasn't a thing. And I'd always, I just think, when I'd been going out when I was abroad, it was almost like it's worth the money and it's worth the hangover. You're meeting all these great people from all over the world. So then when I came home, I was like, I don't really want to go to the same bar I used to go five years ago and leave at 6am and spend all my money. Like it mm. wasn't, it didn't appeal to me. Um, and it was only then when I started speaking to my partner and he said in the January, oh, I always try and do dry January, but my friend always tries to do one better and do 100 days sober. And at first I kind of thought, why would you do that? Why, why would you do that? I didn't really understand. I didn't understand it. I just thought, well, yeah, great. You, you do one month and then you just go back to the same in February. You haven't really achieved anything like because you're doing the same thing afterwards. Yeah. Um, but as far as I remember, he did do it. And it was only then when I sort of started exploring these ideas and then lockdown happened and lockdown was scary for me because I feel people went one of two ways. They either stop drinking completely and they, you know, use the isolation to do other things. Or they were like, I cannot cope with not having the clubs and the personality that comes out after a few drinks. So I'm going to drink almost every day. Yeah. And it was really scary to see the split. And in first lockdown, um, the weather was amazing and everybody was just having drinks parties weren't, yeah. weren't they and again, look listen no uh shaming here you know we, people did what they had to do to yeah. cope with the weird situation that yeah. we, we were we were given but you can understand when you look back at that period why some people came out of covid and were saying my drinking is getting out of control now because it was so acceptable wasn't it yeah people were drinking you know, whilst working from home because they have this yeah. freedom. If you've always been in an office and all of a sudden you're sat at home and you're like, oh, look at this freedom. My boss doesn't know I'm actually having wine with my lunch. Yes. And it's, there was, the lines were so blurred because everything, your home wasn't just your home. It was your office. It was where you socialized. It was where you did everything because you couldn't go anywhere else. No. So it was almost normalized to the point where, well, if I want to have a gin on a Friday morning, maybe I will. Yeah. And you'd, you'd never do that before you went to work if you were just about to drive to the office. Yeah. But maybe at home it's fine because it's payday and I'm only working on the sofa in my pyjamas. So I'll have a gin or something. It's, it's sunny, and, you know. Yeah. yeah. And it was that, it was the whole thing of, you can justify it because look, we're in a global pandemic. It's a once in a lifetime, hopefully situation. So I'll get pissed every day and that's not my problem. That's yeah. just what I'm doing to get through it. Yeah. And it was yeah, it's, it's, scary. it's very like um, whenever I think about that, keep calm and carry on. I just imagine that is like, keep calm, carry on, have a drink. Yeah. <laughs> like, just get through it, which is actually pretty destructive. Yeah. And I think it, I remember at lockdown, I basically I got so bored that all I looked forward to was my daily walk. Yeah. So I put my headphones in and listened to a podcast. And then I started discovering more podcasts. And then I stumbled across one that mentioned Catherine Gray. Yes. And um, I listened to this podcast. Everyone knows who she is. If you've ever tried to be yes. sober, everyone yes. knows who she is. Yes. And um, I remember listening to it and it sort of shifted my brain a bit. Yes, 
Is that so? Just in case you don't know, Catherine Gray, because I appreciate lots of people here might be listening to this for the first time um, in terms of their sobriety, or if they're sober curious, um, she is the author of The Unexpected Joy of Being Sober, uh, which is a fabulous book and is absolutely in my top three in terms of all time amazing quitlit books. Yeah. And that was what had happened. I'd read The Unexpected Joy of the Ordinary. And again, that was just a lockdown thing. I started reading more. And I remember looking at that book and thinking, well, I don't care about being sober, so I probably won't read that. And then I heard a podcast where she started talking about big alcohol and how we're framed to think that drinking is normal and it's actually stranger to not drink. Mm. And that's when I really started sitting with it and thinking well shit maybe that's a good point actually and it sort of just went from just these walks listening to podcasts I stumbled across it and then I read the book and then I started really thinking I did some damage drinking that much and I just didn't care about the situations I was putting myself in yeah and the fact that I'd also I'd also lost so since just before Australia until I think 2020 when lockdown was in the middle I think I'd lost 100 pounds so about seven stone in weight So I'd obviously started caring more about my body. And I think alcohol was then the next thing for me to look at differently. Yeah. Because I thought, God, I didn't care about how much, what it was doing to me internally. And that was at the last, you don't care. Why would you? It's frightening, isn't it? It, it, it frightens me if I think about this for too long. Um, And as someone that just drunk for two and at least two and a half decades and towards the end, uh, 50 units a week easy maybe 60 units in fact sometimes perhaps 75 if there was yeah. a big if there was a big night out where you're just drinking all night yeah. um and that's the problem with cocaine as well you take the cocaine you just drink and the drink yeah. doesn't even touch you anymore in fact I don't even know why you drink but you just do so you yeah. can you can drink a bottle of wine or two between 12 and 6 a.m um uh, so yeah I, I think when I think back at the damage that that must have done to my body and my poor lovely brain that I cherish so much today I it makes me it frightens me I mean I'm I'm glad I've stopped now and I do feel like I've given myself a little bit more of a health insurance policy in terms of my you know future we don't know what's around the corner no one does but I I, I've said this before on the podcast, I always worried that if I just carried on, something bad would happen and 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 that I would be sitting in a doctor's office and someone would say, ah, oh, you've got this thing. And I would just be thinking, shit, why didn't I stop drinking? I knew yeah. I should have done that. This is, you know what I mean? I didn't want to have to deal with that. So even if I still get that thing in however many years time, whatever is, you know, in my future, I just feel like, well, you know, I I can't sit there and say, oh God, it's my own fault. I shouldn't have, no. you know, because I feel like it's, I've done yeah. something to, to, to make Put a difference. Health first. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I, I think it is so frightening how much we undervalue what we're doing to ourselves. And I think a lot of that's got to do with this whole big alcohol conversation. One of the frustrations that I have is, um, and not to be a victim here, because I, I don't really like the victim mentality, 
But the only way I can describe it is it's frustrating that I did this thing that was acceptable by society and almost pushed on me, but I didn't have any facts about what I was really doing, you know, and you can understand why people were smoking in pregnancy in the 1950s because, you know, doctors or, or, or advertisements were saying it's good for you. And it's a bit like that with alcohol, like, You've, we're just kind of programmed to to drink it, and like you said earlier, we are the strange ones if we want to stop drinking this drug that that everybody is drinking. Yet there is just not enough information out there that's accessible and clear. Look, you can have your wine, um, but this is what it will do to you. Okay, so this drinking this will will do this to your brain. It will do that. It will, you know, blah, 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 blah. And to just have some facts about yeah. what we're doing. That's the thing that frustrates me. Now, now that I'm sober, I've gone out and found all that information. Yeah. It isn't easy to find it. Um, yeah. And that's part of the reason why I'm trying to do all this stuff, pushing information out there, because people have no idea of the neuroscience and, and all of that relating to, to alcohol. And that is frustrating for me it's one of the only substances that will negatively affect every single organ in the body yeah you know and it doesn't matter in terms of quantities and reading um sarah hippola i think about blackouts just this week it's so true it's yeah if someone stood outside a shop and was like oh here's this drug um you might completely black out and not remember what you're doing you might do this or you might you'd be like what the fuck are you selling this for and then go into the shop and buy a bottle of gin (laughs) Yeah, I know. Do you know? I, I I don't know where I read this, but I, I read somewhere that apparently, if alcohol um, was was new and was made available today, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be legal. It wouldn't be yeah. legal because it's just it's so toxic, it's so carcinogenic. Um, and I don't know if you've heard of um, the Huberman Lab. Have you heard of him? Yeah, yeah, he's amazing. He's I don't know if you've listened to his podcast. He's got about a two hour podcast on how it's really really good. Oh, okay. um, it's quite recent actually as well. So as in like um, the last few months. Um, so if you go back into his podcast series, you'll find. Like, oh, I'll add that to the list. It's about the effect of alcohol, and he talks about it for two hours. That's <laughs> that's how it's, it's it's amazing. It's a bit overwhelming. I had to listen to it twice um, to 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 really get my head around it, but. He he was saying that alcohol is fat soluble. Um, and so unlike other substances that usually attach to the outside of cells in our body, alcohol actually p- penetrates them and gets in and passes through. So if you imagine alcohol is passing through every cell in your body, it's easy to understand why it's so damaging. Yeah. And right. it's no one knows that because exactly where you go there'll be conversations about alcohol there's songs about it there's t-shirts for kids that's like i'm the reason mummy drinks and stuff and i'm just like god yeah <laughs> but it's only when you take yourself out of that situation that you're like this is so normalized but like adele i love the song i drink wine and i enjoy it but if i wrote a song that was like i smoke weed or i sniff coke or something yeah it's 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 suddenly like oh actually this can become problematic and it's so easy for people to hide I guess people try and you know they drink before work you might not necessarily know unless you're close to them there are all these hidden problems and it's it's not it's not something people really feel they can talk about because you don't want to believe you have a problem unless it's you know you don't have to hit rock bottom to try and crawl out again you know if you're slipping that's enough to be like oh I bear 
I better sort myself out. You don't have to wait until you're 10 out of 10 alcoholic and you need rehab mm. to maybe explore drinking less or stopping completely. It's funny that, isn't it? The, um, I, I swear Adele had, she was sober at one point. Like there was yeah. about all that, a lot of that on my feed. Um, but I remember saying, I love wine. Now I think, do you know what? I didn't love wine at all. Just, I just loved feeling disconnected from yeah. life and that's quite sad really isn't it so whenever I hear like I absolutely love wine I always think mm, what's the underlying thing there because because wine, it's not that great it's not and it doesn't even really taste that nice I'm no, sorry but it does I not agree. taste that nice um, yeah. and you know but it, isn't it isn't it amazing the stories we tell ourselves the narrative that we can really completely buy into and believe in They are just stories. They're just beliefs. It's not fact. Yeah. You know, alcohol does not taste good. If alcohol tastes great, you wouldn't need to add loads of additives and sugar and flavorings to make it palatable. A cute cocktail that you can't even taste. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Uh, Exactly. So, but anyway, um, I could go into a vortex with you on this. So take me back to what did you do? So you kind of, you started to move more into that sober curious realm, um, that bit before jumping in to going alcohol free. Talk to me about when you got to that point and you, and you said, right, that's it. What did you do to kind of, you know, get, get sober basically? So I drank uh, a few days after Christmas um, during that second lockdown and I felt a hangover for the first time in a while because I tried to not drink so much in lockdown because I didn't want it to get worse. So I, I I finally saw my friends after, you know, so long and we had a nice games night together and I did drink more than I probably should have done. And the next day I was like, I had the anxiety and I thought, and I haven't even been out anywhere to say anything embarrassing to strangers. Like I was just at my friend's house, but I still had that shame that I felt i I didn't deserve it almost. I was like, yeah, but I haven't really done anything this time. I haven't woken up Mm. with a stranger. I woke up next to my fiance in bed. Um, And the whole new year thing, again, my partner was like, I might try a hundred days sober. And I thought, well, this year I'll try it too. in in last year. Um, And so I was on a health kick anyway, because I'd lost the weight, but I'd got a bit of a plateau. So I thought, well, that can be one of the things I I try as well as losing a bit more weight. I'm just not going to drink and I'm just going to see how it goes basically. Yeah. 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 And how did it go? It was fine. I think the market at the moment, there's a lot of non-alcoholic options. So I remember buying myself, you know, 0% gin because I thought, well, you know, if I pour this into a glass with Fanta lemon or lemonade and some ice cubes, I don't, you know, that's a nice drink for me. It's cold, it's fresh, mm. but I don't need to worry about feeling tipsy or if I can drive after or anything like that. Mm. Um, and I felt great. I, I don't know about you. I don't know whether it's something you had, but you know when you've like had a bad day or you've had good news and you want to celebrate. Before I'd be like, I'm going to get so pissed. I'm going to get so drunk. I'm, yeah. you know, we'll do whatever. And now I'm like, this money, I might just spend it on a nice dinner. Yes. Or some nice candles that are going to last a lot longer than you know the bottle of gin I could have bought instead. Yeah. And it's the whole like the money and my energy are going on things that it actually is self-care. Like for me, self-care isn't getting blackout drunk anymore. Mm. It's feeling in control of my emotions and my, I, it's that control thing. It's actually, I'm, I feel every, you know, if I've got the flu, if I've got a bit of a bad stomach, I feel everything. I'm not just completely numbed by alcohol, assuming that every issue, oh, it's just all the booze. Yes. 
Yeah. And I felt in tune with myself. That's a nice feeling, isn't it? Yeah. It's such a nice feeling because I, I feel pretty much 100% every day. Yeah. And so whenever I feel 98% or 90%, I'm really aware of it. Yeah. I'm like, oh, what's wrong with me? Uh, do you know what? Um, you know, I got up a few ni- a few times in the night. I'm I'm just tired. Or, well, I've got a bit of a sore throat. Maybe I'm a bit under the weather. But I just I just know yeah. what's going on in this little system inside me. It's intuitive. Um, yeah. yeah, it is. It is. But it's also, it's such a gift to feel 100% every day. <laughs> I don't know how I used to go to work, like, on a Monday, especially if I, I had, you know, if there were, there was, you know, cocaine involved or anything else involved, I wouldn't feel right until Wednesday. And what that meant was that Sunday I couldn't function. I could literally barely do anything. So I didn't buy anything for the week ahead food wise. So it meant I'd just on my lunch break, crawl to the nearest shop and buy as much food as possible. Um, yeah. So your metabolism takes a, a hit. You, you know, your diet takes a hit. My skin probably looked horrific because I didn't even drink enough water. I could barely function. So how am I going to feed myself anything good? And then by the time Wednesday, Thursday comes around and I'm like, all right, I feel a bit better. I did the same again. Yeah. I was never hundred percent. Yes. I I'm, when I was working in the job that I mentioned and I was doing the sales role, uh, I the amount of times in the week I'd go to McDonald's for lunch <laughs> because I just oh, that's all I wanted. Yeah. With full fat coke. Uh, now, um I I can't remember the last time I went to McDonald's. Yeah. You no, know, I'm not, you know, I'm not not knocking McDonald's at all. Um it's been a part of my life since I was a child having little you know, happy meals and things like that. And, but just, uh, it's just so fun, isn't it? How much more you look after yourself when you're not recovering from booze. Yeah. And constantly like, I can't taste my food properly. I remember going out on a Christmas Eve once and I ruined Christmas dinner for myself because I didn't taste properly. Yeah. And I was so mad at myself. Yeah. That happened to me as well. See what I mean? We're yeah. just so, do you know what? I lost my, te- I lost my smell and taste for two years uh, and it happened on Christmas Eve. I, I took one of those nasal things. Oh yeah, and really frustrated. I couldn't breathe properly, and I and I overdid it. If I'm being honest, yeah. I gave can, like, five yeah. or six squirts on each side, and I I lost my sense of smell for two years. I went. I had MRI scans, and you know things. Oh it was awful. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Digressing there, but another thing we got in common though. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, so let me get this right, because obviously that was uh, January time. Um, now we're in November recording this, but you've got nearly six months. Was there, did you have a blip or something in that time? Sorry, yeah. So this was um, 2021. And after the 100 days were up, I thought, well, I'm just going to carry on. And then I don't even think I drank until maybe around my birthday or Christmas. I remember, no, I remember what I did. I, um, we put an offering on a house. And it got accepted. And that was at the end of May. So at that point, I'd almost done, well, I'd done five full months. And I thought, right, do you know what? This means that I can have, this is a big thing. And I'm I still fixed. have it on my Instagram story. I poured myself a gin to celebrate. And I had one sip and I was like, Ugh. I was like, I don't want this. It's almost just like, because it's like celebratory. And then I, I poured it down the sink. So oh, I really? Had, yeah, because I was like, I don't know. It's like this whole, I've abstained for so long. And now I can celebrate this. We've had an offer accepted on a house. So, you know, I've done I've done five months. That's really good. You know, let's just have one now. And it was like a nice gin I'd got a few Christmases ago. And I was really underwhelmed. And I was like, I don't really know why I'm... Do- I think we just ordered a nice dinner instead in the end. Um, 
And then I thought, okay, well, I know what it's like to be sober for this long. And part of me always sort of thought, well, a lot of the mental issues that I had, I say are resolved, they're never resolved. They're just managed a lot better. Um, And I thought, I'm never going to go down that slope again. So I know I can have one or two with my friends. And I think there was one situation, maybe two, where we did. I think I went out once and I I was drunk and I did again feel hungover the next day and thought again, oh, it's not worth it. Mm. It's not worth it. Um, And it was always sort of teetering on the edge of, I'd go so long without having a drink. And then I think, well, why can't I, you know, now I can control it better. Why can't I just have one blowout? And then I would, and then the hangover would be so bad that I'm like, I don't want to do that again. Yeah. Um, So this year really it's been when I was abroad because I was on holiday and I thought, again, it's just a cocktail by the sea. It was, I, unlike a lot of people, I think I'm lucky in the sense that because there were so many underlying issues that I'd kind of worked through, it's not like now if I went out and had one drink, I wouldn't be able to stop. Yeah. But it's still what it does to me internally and how it affects my mental state. Because I knew my anxiety got worse, but I still carried on doing it. Yeah. Um, and I'm at a point now where I don't know if it's different for different people. I know we want to start a family and I don't want to hinder my chances of that. And I don't want to rely on alcohol to get me through. Mm. It's not a crutch anymore. It's just okay well now I've done six months I'll probably carry on and then I think well it's my Hindu next year and part of me is like do I even want to drink for my Hindu because I don't want to feel awful the next day I want to be a hundred percent I know when I'm hungry and I know when I'm thirsty and I know when I'm tired I'm not just living as a shell of myself yeah because it, it does carry on and I think that was where I always felt not like a fraud but I was kind of like when I talk about not drinking it's normally oh so you don't drink at all and I'm like okay once a year maybe um and even then I'm like well should I even do that should it be 100% or nothing but it's it's so hard I think to Mm. to make that decision of whether it's okay well I've been out before and managed to go home in a taxi by 12 but does that mean that I want to do it for fun still no I don't I don't want the first thing to think of after a bad day at work is god I can't wait for a glass of wine yes because it's not that anymore it's not I, you know, I what I did what I did, and alcohol was what it was for me. But I know I will never go back to that ever. Yeah. It will never have that place in my life that it it did once ever. I don't think I ever want to change that. Um, it's a, it's a hard one because I don't think anyone can ever say I'm never going to drink again. Um, but at the same time, I just don't care. I've just I don't necessarily feel that I'm going to miss out by being the sober one anymore yeah that's that's has so much power doesn't it and you know what I think it does take a while to get to that point as well I think if I'm honest with myself six months in or even a year in I've really struggled with the forever thing I really struggle with it and I think that's really normal and everybody has to adopt a route that works for them and that's what I think is so beautiful about this community people going sober or going alcohol free you know however they want to um, describe it is that you can design your own path and at the moment your approach is very much like the Annie Grace this naked mind she doesn't say I'm never going to drink again that's not her 
kind of ethos she just makes alcohol very very small and insignificant and that really reminds me of what you're talking you're talking in that same kind of language um which is is very powerful and you might find that you stay in that place or you might find that you shift into well actually now I'm questioning what is alcohol really giving me at my hen do what am I really feeling from that you know and why or or maybe you might the question might be why am I afraid to not be sober at my hen what what are those underlying um fears and insecurities and you know if I'm being totally honest again I think you know stopping drinking in your 20s that's why I think it's 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 so remarkable and it is quite different because you're doing it a lot younger than I think a lot of people and of course that comes with its own set of complications and yeah you know you're still very much you know the probably the younger one um not in your group but you know everyone's going out and probably drinking maybe people don't have kids yet or you know do you know what I mean and it's just like why would you not drink yeah (laughs) you know so you you will probably be facing slightly more than say me at mid 40s people don't say why aren't you drinking that much anymore yeah. um, because well I, I i get i don't know i guess we have different lifestyle I don't, I don't really go out and i don't meet a lot of people new people yeah. really but you know i do understand that there are different landscapes kind of what i'm in a roundabout way trying to say um but yeah i think that's for, for, for me i know that i I think probably even a year and a half in, I was still looking, sometimes catching myself, looking over at a table of somebody in the sunshine, having a cold glass of white and having a bit of FOMO. Just like, oh God, it's so shit that I'm never going to be able to have that again. Yeah. But that did change for me. And the more strength I got, I think, the more sobriety strength that I got and the more wisdom and the more education and I still listen to podcasts every week even over three years into being sober I still I'm still fascinated by it and I still love learning about it now I find I never look at people and wish that I was having a glass and I feel so I feel just so grateful for that and feel so free but also my mind is blown a bit really because how can a drinker like me and you might feel like this way too how can drinkers like us get to the point where they've almost forgotten about alcohol um and so yeah I'm wondering whether that is just maybe a process of kind of time I don't know I don't know what the answers are there but it would be lovely to reconnect with you around that time just to see where you are and whether whether you've changed some of your views or or not I don't know it'd be interesting be interesting to do that so um what what would you say is the hardest bits about being sober or living an alcohol-free, alcohol-free life? What's, what's been the hardest part for you? I think because I have found that I am actually very introverted, if you're the only sober one full of drunk people, it can be really fucking annoying. And it can be, you watch people go from being able to have a normal volumed conversation to sort of talking over you because you're not shouting as loud as they are because you're not drunk and... I sort of like shrink into the wall and just think I'd rather be at home with my cat reading a book Um, I'd rather not have all the loud noises and the behaviors and when you can see it happen you know because I do sometimes think god that was me but now I'm not there and I'm sat there I do not like I'm missing out but almost like I'll just get 
maybe a bit forgotten about in conversations or it just puts me on edge a bit because I feel like well I can't really integrate with a group that's drinking when I'm the sober one because I sort of just shrink off into the back because I'm not the loud one I'm not the one you know making a fool out of myself anymore so I think you know it helps that my partner doesn't drink that much um himself anymore Mm. um similar stories to me I guess but I do think it's it's just about finding your people and finding where your voice will still be heard when you're not off your face and you can still join in the socials when you're not drunk um because sometimes I feel like you know you're the sober one who just sort of slips off and drives home and it's great the next day because I feel fantastic when I get up early and have a coffee knowing that everyone else is still in bed dying for the hangover (laughs) yeah um but there is still that sort of or will I just fade off into the background um, because I'm I'm not drinking? Yeah, it's it's basically you're disconnecting in that situation, aren't you? The yeah. thing that connected you together has gone for you. Yeah. Um, and so, therefore, as time goes on in the evening, you just get more disconnected from what's going on. So, yeah, I can I can understand that. What do you do? Do you do you go home? yeah I think there used to be a time where I'd probably I'd know I want to go home but I didn't want to miss out and what if something happened and what if I got forgotten about because I'm not the fun one anymore and and now I think there comes a point I'm sort of okay with it where okay you know everyone's got a bit louder and a bit rowdier and I'm happy to just say I'll see you next time and and go home and have a decent night's sleep and yeah there's always that anxious part of my brain that's like, oh, you're you're being left out. But it's it's not that I'm taking myself out of the equation and saying, well, this situation isn't going to serve me after 11 p.m. Um, I'd rather be in bed now, actually. Yeah. It's a good boundary. You know, boundaries are something that I think people can struggle with um, in life didn't in have general. Any so long. Yeah, yeah in, in, I mean, I had none at all. Yeah. I didn't even, someone said boundary to me. I was like, what's that? Is that something yeah. that separates a road? Like, <laughs> I, just yeah. didn't, I didn't understand what emotional boundaries were um, and learning how to put them into place is uncomfortable. Yeah, um, it is. And you do question yourself and you, you are, I mean, I was frightened to say no to things or yeah, I was frightened to be who I really was. Until I wasn't frightened anymore. And now I'm just like, yeah, I I have a lot of confidence in those situations and I'm really happy to implement boundaries. But it takes time to build that up. It's knowing that you've got the right to be like, can I have the alcohol-free version? Or actually, I'm not drinking. Or actually, is there something you can do for me instead? Or, oh, I don't mind driving, but I'm not going to stay here until 2 a.m., yes drive you guys home if I want to go home at 10 then (laughs) good for you you. yeah no it's not easy doing that stuff but I do think the more that you implement boundaries the better you get at it and the more you realize that well actually it's not that difficult (laughs) and and, yeah and it's it's seeing who's left actually and who understands and if if people are sort of like well I don't like this new Emily well don't have her then yeah that's fine basically Yeah. yeah So what's been, what do you think is your biggest gain? I think it's having control again. It's fully having control of of what I'm doing and how I feel. Um, Because before, like we touched on it, I was never in control when I was drinking. It was like life was happening and I was just a part of it. Um, It was just, I was never in myself. Um, Whereas now, 
I am actually a morning person. I didn't think I was, but I have all this this time where I feel okay. I used to spend every Saturday, Sunday in bed with my dad making sarcastic comments like, are you ever going to get up? Are you just going to like, it's a lovely day out there and I'd be in bed with the curtains closed. But now there are all these things that I actually really enjoy being outdoors, fitness, and I can do that and not feel awful. Everything was such a task before and now... I have energy. I sleep great. And I've got this new lease of life almost, which sounds ridiculous at the age of 27, but I just never thought there was more to it than, than the inside of a club. Yeah. And actually your horizons widen so much when you take something like that out of the equation, because that's not all there is to life actually. And I wake up every day knowing what happened the night before, you know, knowing I did the washing up and the house is clean and I've done the washing and I didn't leave my car somewhere because I decided that I'd drive even though I knew there's nowhere I wouldn't drink yeah or wondering where my stuff is or who I pissed off or Jesus did I text that person I don't have this anxious monster in my bed with me when I wake up that's like guess what you did last night oh don't it's horrible isn't it horrible it makes makes my skin crawl thinking about how I'd wake up and see what I'd said to people or Mm. think about what I'd done and and now I wake up and have a coffee in the garden look at the birds and I'm like this is great I I feel I feel everything I don't there's nothing and whether it's happiness sadness it's not numbed by alcohol anymore it's not my beacon of hope anymore it's just emotions are, are raw and it's visceral but I'd sooner that than numb it with alcohol yeah so beautifully put um, it just feels like you're living you're not just surviving yeah and before it's just like you're you're just surviving in this weird almost like video game yeah it is it's the same thing all the yeah. time yeah but then when you remove the alcohol the smallest things make a real difference in your day and the and the simple things make you so happy yeah like lovely fresh coffee when you're feeling really fresh and well rested yeah and, you know like you say you, you look at the robins you know in the garden you've got a list of things that you want to get through in the day and you know that you can tick them all off yeah. by the end of the day it's just it's just little things like that isn't it that make yeah it's, it's having that energy back and actually being in control of it yeah yeah so true um so I could talk for ages here. We could, um, couldn't we? <laughs> yeah, I know. Just conscious is like, we're, yeah, we're, we're coming to a close now. But what would your tops, tops, your tops, what would your top. top three tips <laughs> be on staying, on getting or staying sober? I think the first thing is reading. And I'm always going to recommend um, the Catherine Gray book we touched on, Sunshine Warm Sober as well, which is, I think, her second one about sobriety, which... Mm-hmm really made me feel like I was doing the right thing actually and it it reminds you of all the things in life that you can do and I think even though it sounds because you don't want to think about negative things you don't want to count the negatives but sometimes you do have to remind yourself I'd say it's probably the first tip why you started being super curious because you must have acknowledged a problem to have even thought Mm. maybe I should stop this and actually if you look back and think about the hangovers or the money you wasted and all the things that you would drunk you know drunk Emily would do or or whatever sometimes you think well it's a no-brainer but you've just got to remind yourself that those negatives you know yeah you you might meet new people and you might make great memories and photos it's that's all just rose-tinted glasses actually because the next day you realize what what it was worth and it's probably not that much um 
The second one, which I think is actually something that I never used to do, it, it took a while to do it, was treat yourselves, treat yourself to gifts that are actual, that is self-care. You know, if you've had a tough day and you'd normally buy wine, don't just drive past the shop and buy nothing. Go and buy yourself a really nice cupcake. Or, you know, if you've been craving this Thai red curry, order it. You know, go and buy it yourself. Treat yourself to a candle that costs £25. It's a bit frivolous, but, well, you wouldn't normally have done that. Um, So do that instead. Sorry, is that me that's beeping? Yeah, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Oh, it's so strange. Um, (laughs) So I think that one is if there's anything that you can spend that money that would have gone on alcohol great if you you'd rather save it but actually you know buy the yankee candle spend that money on something that makes you feel good or a good book um and i think the third one i mean it's sort of similar to the first one but it's it's education because the more you know you know and that's that thing it's never stop learning there are so many things that we're not openly given about alcohol about how negative and how bad it can be unless you search for it so search for it you know because once you've armed yourself with that knowledge you can normally sit there and say well no it's not worth how I feel and actually I don't want to damage you know my internal organs and I don't want to risk a blackout learning about what blackouts do to you knowing that I used to do that regularly is so scary because your brain's literally saying the alcohol level in your blood has got that bad that we're going to have to switch off this long-term memory point Mm-hmm. and call it a day so that's why you know your short, short term and that's what I learned that your short term memory works and that's why drunk people repeat themselves because that long term memory at that point of blackout is just left pie yeah it doesn't form does it yeah and that's yeah. so scary that you mm-hmm. do that to yourself voluntarily absolutely <laughs> and once you've once you've read that and you've understood that and you've thought about the situations where you've been like that I don't think it becomes too difficult to understand why you've put a stop to it. And when you are slipping a bit, it's just reminding yourself why. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Where did you, um, the education bit, where did you search for it just to give people that? I started listening to podcasts and reading books. And I think there's quite a few Instagrams, like I think Sober Girl Society, um, Sober powered. Have you have you seen yes, that yeah. one? And obviously, stumbling across your page for me was massive because I was like, oh my god, it's not just me. Yeah, like the stories of your nights out. I was suddenly like, oh my god, I'm so glad I'm not the only one that looks back on it and goes, that's not right. That's not healthy. Actually, that's really quite bad. Yeah. Um, but a lot of people do normalise it. So I think once you start listening to it and having people that have had similar stories, um, any podcast about anyone that used to sort of live a life like I guess we both did mm. it's so funny to listen to because you relate to it so much and you think well they've got out of it you've got out of it she's got out of it I don't have to live like this anymore I can you know I can go out and I can search the internet YouTube books yeah and arm yourself with that knowledge so that you know why you're making that decision there is actually a lot of stuff on YouTube isn't there it's quite surprising how much sobriety stuff is on YouTube yeah, and I'm I'm in a way for all the bad that social media has done, the fact that you can just search, you know, these few keywords and these infographics come up and you find people like you, people that are like-minded. I think that's that's a fantastic tool to use. Yeah, it's a special time, isn't it, I think, too? Because I, I had a period of sobriety when I was 30, so that's nearly 15 years ago, weirdly. Um, and there was nothing. 
yeah there, really nothing at all maybe the odd blog but just yeah it wasn't yeah there was nothing so the fact that there are so many people in this space and then there are lots of people like you and all the other people that come on the show sharing stories I think podcasts can be life-changing I agree hearing um yourself in someone else's story is so validating and it's so powerful and it can just give you that push that you need to do something about it um just I was just thinking there that um yeah we've done a lot of that kind of covering off a bit of the education brain science stuff so if you're listening and you're keen to learn more about the brain science um off the top of my head you can you can read or listen on audiobook to uh, Annie Grace she's got a book called This Naked Mind which is really good there's also Alcohol Explained by William Porter um, and he's done a lot of guest podcasts so if you search William Porter in your podcast app there'll be tons of stuff that comes up with him and there's also a book called Drink the Science I think it's called The Science of Drinking and I mentioned it earlier the Huberman Lab he has done a recent two-hour-long podcast of the effects of alcohol on the body, the brain, the nervous system, etc. It's quite heavy, but uh, do what I did, listen to it twice. <laughs> um, and you will take some of it in. Um, awesome. Listen, it's been fabulous uh, connecting with you, Emily, and talking to you and hearing your story. It's also been a bit spooky because there's so many similarities there, there in my life. <laughs> um if we um yeah if you're open to sharing your journey how can we find you so I've got my um separate Instagram which sort of started about fitness but I have sort of recently been posting more about sobriety well-being um so my handle is at and it's Emily fit for life ACA so all together Emily fit for the word life ACA awesome please check emily out um you've been fab uh, thank you so much for having me oh it's been a pleasure it's been an absolute pleasure and uh i hope we stay in touch yeah and yeah have a have a great christmas feel so fine thank you but, so you know. much thank you and you <laughs> yeah thank you so much and thank you everybody else for listening to us today bye thank you so much for listening to this podcast If you're interested in being a guest, please contact me directly on Instagram by sending a message to at Sassy Sober Mum. You can also find helpful tools and resources on my website, sassysobermum.com. If you enjoyed the podcast and you want to spread the love, please like, share and rate the podcast. I really look forward to next time. See you then.